Welcome to Talk with the Texan, Money and Life with Troy Eckert. This program is thought-provoking, informative, entertaining, and down to business. We face facts and ideas about how to make, protect, and build your net worth. You'll get over three decades of frontline experiences and real-life examples of what to do and the pitfalls to avoid. Now, here's Troy Eckert. Hey, 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 everyone. Thank you for joining me. I'm Troy Eckert, Talk with the Texan Money and Life. Thank you so much for joining the show today. Hey, listen, folks, you know, every week from week, I think about what's going on in the economy. I get a lot of questions from listeners. I get a lot of input from those that follow the podcast. And it seems like most of the listeners are really enjoying learning about some of the more intricate details about the way investments are reviewed or at least pursuing different investment ideas. So this week, I'm going to do a little something that I think you might enjoy. It's a little bit about how I go about looking at different investments. Now, as most of you know who follow me, my main career has been involved in the U.S. oil and gas industry. And what I do in that industry is very much similar and very much parallel to what you might do if you followed a real estate career. You look at very, very broad areas. You look at different areas that might have potential for future growth and development and opportunity. You begin to decide for yourself where the value might lie. You begin to wonder how you can possibly take advantage of it based on a lot of different factors and fundamentals. But at the end of the day, you have to come up with several different uh, disciplines or you have to decide several different aspects of going forward if, in fact, you ever do go forward. Now, just remember, the show is called Talk with the Texan Money and Life. And the reason I called it Money and Life is that whether anybody wants to believe it or not, there is a direct correlation between the type of life you have, the quality of life you have, maybe even the extent of the opportunity in life that you have related to the amount of money that you have. Now, I hear it all the way from top to bottom. I've got clients that are worth a billion dollars plus. I have friends that are just scraping by, making uh, rent and paying bills month to month. I've been all over the board with regard to relationships, friendships, and business. In fact, for those of you who have not listened to the show on a frequent basis, you know, I started out with a mother who had four kids. Um, We did not have a dad. He left us, gave his name up. My mother met a man, was uh, kind enough and, and caring enough to marry her and adopt all four of us, but they scraped by every month. You know, my adopted dad and my mother had both had jobs. They worked hard. They never took government handouts. And they worked really, really hard. But watching them as I grew up, I realized that they literally were living paycheck to paycheck, week to week, dollar to dollar. And when you have things outside of your control, um, it begins to affect your quality of life. So back in the late 70s, 1980s, we had runaway inflation. Same thing we're experiencing today. This is not transitory inflation. This is absolutely aggressive runaway, feverish inflation that has not even begun to get close to the top of where we're going to go. So when you think about money in life, you have to start thinking about how you're going to attack or approach the way you're going to live your life, the way you're going to make money, create wealth for yourself, or at least financially put yourself in a position to make decisions that are best for you and your family. Today, I thought I would touch on some things that I I want you to give some serious consideration to, and it's just how you go about making investment choices. Now, um, I have the good fortune in my business and the way I do my life 
I have the good fortune of working with about 500 high net worth investors. And they come from all walks of the earth. They come from all backgrounds, all kinds of ethnicities, all kinds of ages, male, female, young, old, fat, skinny. It doesn't matter. The truth is, is that what I get is I get to be the center point. I get to listen to each one of them, how they think, the way they approach investments, their fears, their their aggressiveness, their passivity, their complaints, their, their observations. And what I've learned is, is that for the most part, they have something in common. They, they all are forward thinkers. They're always looking to see where is the next opportunity. So today, I want to talk about how to find opportunities and what to do about those opportunities, but not drive the car so fast you fall off the cliff. So we're going to talk about a few things that I think is really important today because I'm going to tell you kind of the way I start started, you know, 36 years ago, assessing the way I was going to approach my business, my savings, my different investment choices. And it was all incredibly relevant with regard to how I hoped my life would turn out. Now, I'm going to be 58 this summer. So I would say on a scale of one to 10, my life is sitting at about a nine and a half or higher because I've been able to achieve success with the things I had set out to. I far exceeded that. And I've just been blessed from top to bottom. So let's talk about the first thing. How do you find out what opportunities exist? Now, many of you listening have made great careers in, in some, uh, some particular occupation that maybe was a derivative of your college degree, a doctor, a lawyer, something that required that, that uh, college education. Some of you, even with that college education, that's not really where you made your wealth. I mean, I have one partner who was a CPA, ended up buying one of his clients' businesses, and that business is what made him wealthy, not being a CPA, certified you know, accountant. The fact of the matter is, is that we all have to identify what our strengths are, what our weaknesses are, and then we have to be able to pursue that. Now, let's, let's call it this to make sure everybody listening understands. It doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter what your current financial status is. What matters is, is what's inside you. It's the desire you have inside you. Um, I talk to to individuals, all walks of life, ages, and they talk about, I wish I could do this. I thought I could do that. I'm smarter than that person. I think I have a better degree than this person. Um, I tried three times and fell down. I just don't think I can do it again. All the way from somebody who's crashed 20 times and says, that didn't hurt. I think I can do it another 20 times. I've learned each time how to get a little bit better. So the truth is you're going to only be able to pursue opportunities if you have a realistic set of parameters by which you're going to uh, pursue those opportunities. Because on one hand, opportunities are fleeting. When that opportunity and that door opens, many of you are not prepared for it. You don't even recognize there is an opportunity, much less that the door is open. Others think everything you look at is an opportunity and you keep getting your fingers bit because you stick your hand in the cage and there happens to be a dog on the other side that was rabid. So when I look at opportunities, and I want to specifically kind of tailor this toward real estate, but there's a direct correlation and parallel between that and the oil and gas industry. So that's why I've always had a passion for real estate and I've always had a passion for energy because they literally overlap. They are almost direct analogs to one another. They just happen to have different ways, methods, and procedures, and they have different language. You know, oil and gas has its own words. Real estate has similar but different words for the same meaning. So let's talk about uh, in real estate terms. So that way, most of you, the listening audience who are not familiar with oil and gas can actually follow where I'm going. So there are several categories. There's how do I find an opportunity? 
There is deciding on your own limits and capabilities. In other words, you can't go out and, and try to hunt rabbit and you, and you try to shoot a bull elephant. It doesn't work. Something's, something's amiss. Um, how do you narrow the focus? I have a saying when it comes to real estate or when I come to uh, looking at oil and gas, I say, all I see is dirt. I don't worry about what it is. I don't know, worry about what it's been. I worry more about if it were in its rawest form, what could be. And that's something that I think I, I have a very strong characteristic with is that is I don't let what's currently existing bother me as much as what I believe can happen to the asset or the opportunity I'm looking at. Um, you need to realize that your bag is not limited. And what I mean by your bag, your brain, your energy, your time, your money, your access to money, your whole volume of potential energy as far as going forward, doing something, your bag is not unlimited. So you're going to have to decide how to deploy those assets and skills very carefully. Otherwise, you'll find yourself going nowhere. And then at the last, you need to really find out what your time is worth. And when I say what your time is worth, this is one of the key mistakes I find so many people making. They either overvalue themselves with arrogance and narcissism, or they completely undervalue themselves. And they spend a lot of time doing things that are not in the most productive uh, direction or the most productive use of their time. So let's start with finding opportunities. All right. So when I look at real estate, real estate has all kinds of categories that effectively are uh, anything from you know raw land, going out and buying farmland, ranch land, buying a piece of undeveloped property. Maybe it's not entitled, it's not annexed, it doesn't have water, doesn't have utility. In other words, it's just raw land. You have to decide if that's the area you like. That takes a whole different type of mentality than somebody who's going to look at vertical construction, such as residential houses, self-storage building, apartment complexes, any kind of multifamily investment opportunity, industrial parks. So when you look at opportunity, the one thing you have to decide is with that opportunity, what do you enjoy? And see, the way my brain works is I'm very creative. When I look at a raw piece of land, the first thing I think of is what it could be. And I begin to imagine in my mind, is this uh, property, when it's taken from raw land, it has those entitlements, is it going to be a, a duplex, a multifamily, a, a, a retail center with condos on top? Is it going to be a, a raw land development for lots, residential lots? The key is I've recognized in my personality, I enjoy more of that than maybe going and building construction, such as, you know, building an apartment complex or self-storage. Although I find it interesting, although I find it something that's worth going through the process, I also find the minutia and the minute details are not something that I enjoy. So I've had a tendency because of my choices, when I'm looking for opportunities, I've narrowed the scope. I personally don't enjoy, nor do I want to buy residential homes. I don't enjoy the process. I don't enjoy spending that much uh, capital onto one asset with one tenant. I don't enjoy the all the nuances in dealing with people who decide they are either late on rent, don't want to pay rent under current conditions with the COVID. There's rent forbearance. All of that just puts it in the category of not something that I want to do. So I've never been someone who's been interested in residential rentals or fix and flips. I think there's much better use of my time and money. Now, you, on the other hand, may say, well, I like that. I don't mind collecting rents. I don't mind doing handyman work myself. I don't mind dealing with vendors that will do the work for me. I think that buying residential homes is good because I can get financing. It fits within my financial ability as far as the scope of equity, and that could be your choice. The key thing in finding opportunities is first finding out which opportunities you're good at finding 
and which opportunities you enjoy doing. There's nothing worse in life than trying to do something that you believe is going to effectively uh, be a, possibly a good idea, but something you absolutely do not like doing or is, is something that is painful for you to think about over time. I've had a couple of investments like that in my lifetime where I've done something, I started it, I pushed the snowball off the hill, and I found myself saying, why in the world did I ever start this? And it takes a long time to get out of something that you have started that you either made a bad choice on or something you really didn't like in the first place. It's kind of like a marriage, really easy to get into, could be a nightmare to get out of. Now, the second thing you need to think about is how do you define um, your own limits, your own capabilities? Now, the, the reality is, is this is where most people are, I think they fail quite a bit. They become enamored with themselves. They think they're geniuses. They think that they, they will never fail. They don't even begin to look at the holes in their plan. They never run an effective stress test. Now, let's talk about what a stress test is. The idea is that anytime you decide to do something, whether it's just a pure passive investment, investing in, let's say, like what I do, mental rights or whether it's something where you're going to go buy a, an older apartment complex, fix it up, improve the tenants, get it modernized, you got to really be honest with yourself about what your own limits and capabilities are. I'm not talking just money. I'm talking about skill sets. I'm talking about your personality. I'm talking about your the amount of time you can commit. Because if you don't define your own limits and capabilities, it doesn't matter what opportunity you look at you're either going to choose the wrong opportunity because you're enamored with yourself and have given yourself possibly a much higher level of skills than you really have, or you're going to find yourself doing something because you think that opportunity has a, a attractive financial reward and you force a square peg into a round hole. So I know, for example, I've tried one or two business ideas, probably more like 20 business ideas that I knew going into it, I knew nothing about it. It was key man sensitive, meaning that if the person that was involved left, I would have no clue what to do. It involved an industry that was either oversaturated or it was something that looked like a unique idea or way to have a a niche in the market. But what I didn't count on was that um, realistically, if I had to take that ball and run with it, I couldn't do it. Let me just use an example. So my dad and I, back in the 80s, we're going to buy a business together. I was in my 20s. My dad was in his 50s. He was semi-retired. And we started looking at business to buy. And one of the businesses we were looking to buy was an auto tenting business that appeared to have very good cash flow. And so we looked at the business and, and by the time I dissected it, I mean, I'm like 22, 23. By the time I dissected, I told my dad, I said, we absolutely cannot buy this business. He said, why not? It's making great cash flow. I said, because the problem is it's key man sensitive. The guy that, that is your shop manager, he runs the other guys. And he is from what the current seller is telling me is the key to his shop's efficiency and shop success. If we buy it and he doesn't like us and he leaves, we got to go find another guy that can run this shop the same way. He could come in and ask for a big raise. He could come in and say, I just don't like the new ownership. I don't like what's going on. I'm going to leave or I'm going to go start my own window tending business because there's no non-compete in the contract. So I said, is it possible that if he were to quit the day after we bought the business, the you or I are willing to step in and start window tending cars until we can fulfill that position with the right person. And after sitting there having this long discussion back and forth, I told my dad, I said, look, it's key man sensitive. I can't do that job. 
I can't go buy a dental practice. I'm not a dentist. I cannot go buy a window tending business knowing that one guy controls the majority of the personnel and revenue. So for me, I've always avoided key man sensitive type of businesses or opportunities. And I've seen it happen over and over and over again, where businesses have been literally held hostage as a result of having a key man that is either wanting more money, abandoned ship, or left him with no other option but to acquiesce to whatever demands were made. I don't like it. Now, you may be different. That's just me. Now, when I think about your capabilities, let's let's put it in, in boxes, all right? How much equity, how much cash, access to cash or capital within reason do you think you have to pursue an investment? So you put it on a piece of paper, say new idea, number one, put it on a piece of paper. I have $50,000 to invest, which means I can possibly buy something all cash. I can maybe buy cash and have somebody owner finance it. I can have cash and maybe go secure debt, or I can put my money up and maybe attract friends and families or third-party capital sources. The key is whatever money you think you have, and it could be a million dollars, it could be $50,000. It doesn't matter. The key is the first thing you do in that paper is establish what you can do, absent friends and families, absent third-party lenders. What is it that you have access to capital? And if you don't care to have debt with a bank, if you don't care to have outside third-party investors or partners, or you don't want somebody else being in the position of controlling your decision because now they put in... 50,000 long, you're $50,000, then you need to be very clear on that. In other words, if all you have is 50,000 and you don't care to have that outside third-party interference, then you need to look at investment opportunities or businesses or ideas and real estate or whatever you're doing that that is basically limited to that $50,000. Now, it may in your mind say, well, that stunts my growth. It limits my opportunity. Again, this is a personal choice. Me, I have worked with and dealt with outside partners since I was 18 years old. I have found that there is a tremendous value in inviting others to participate with you in making opportunities come to uh, fruition. The key is with most people is you must learn that those who have the gold make the rule. Investors want to know that whatever investment they're in, they're dealing with somebody with honesty and integrity. Somebody puts their money before yours. You can't put your money at the top list. Outside third parties should be top of the list as far as priority. And all the things that go with that, which means responsibilities, fiduciary duty, ethics, integrity, disclosure, transparency, these are all things that, if you're willing to do it, could lead to an enormous relationship with outside capital that allows you to expand what you can consider to be within your scope and capabilities. Now, I think the thing is about this defining your limits is you got to be realistic. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day, and that's not just a cliche, it's the truth. Um, when you take a look at, let's say, buying a piece of land, it's, it's raw land, it's an undeveloped lot, and you think realistically the process to go get that two-story apartment complex on it, you're talking 24 to 36 months of lead time. You've got to buy it, file permits, you've got to entitle it, you've got to get annexation, you've got to get access to water, you've got to hire a civil engineer, you need an architect, you've got to get bank financing or capital. I mean, there's a sequence of things that take place that could take you know, a year to year and a half. And then you've got the whole construction and then you have the rent up. So the thing about taking on uh, your own capacity of, of ideas and your own limits, your own capabilities is it's not just getting in, it's a realistic assessment of the time, the patience, the process, the willingness to go through it that you have to decide fits you because if it doesn't fit you, 
you'll find yourself getting into things that really you say, how did I do this? Why am I in it? And as I said before, you find out that you're, you're, you're in a bad marriage and it takes forever to get out of it. So the other thing I think we'll move to is, is what I call narrowing the focus. What does that mean? Well, when you narrow the focus, um, you start doing, and this is what I love doing. I start doing the no longer on my list. You know, I, I just, I literally, I have an idea book. And every time I come up with an idea, I like to think about new inventions. I like to think about new real estate or oil and gas or projects or new investment spaces that are evolving. And, you know, I could sit there and write a book uh, about all the ideas that I've come across that turned out to be good ideas or never evolved. But the truth is, I've got to narrow my focus. And I'm not talking just to focus on the type of investment, but I got to narrow my focus down to even a micro market. So let's take real estate, for example. I have investors all over the country, and some are doing fantastic in Michigan and Florida and California and Oregon, Texas, Oklahoma. Depending on where they're at, they realize that, you know, real estate is like fishing. I can hire the very best fishing guide at the lake that I go to, and he may be really, really good at fishing on that lake. You take him out of that lake, other than the fundamentals of fishing and the fundamentals of what's involved trying to successfully find fish of a certain type or category, the fact is every time he moves from one pond to the next, there are different characteristics about that particular lake and the way those fish bite. Certain water temperatures, certain migration patterns, the way the water flows underneath the, underneath the surface. Is there a dam? Is there a hydroelectric plant? It is, there's enormous amounts of variables. <clears throat> so to even begin to think that you can go out and just say, look, I'm a fisherman. I can go to any pond in the country and I can catch fish. That is true. But will you be the very best fisherman when you leave your main area of a focus and you go to the new areas and you can say, well, yes. And I say, well, how long? In other words, how many different modifications or adjustments will it take when you move from lake to lake, pond to pond, before you become as efficient as you were in the area that you started out in becoming the professional expert? So let's take real estate, for example. As I said, it seems to me that, you know, I get emails all the time from real estate companies. Hey, Troy, you're a little up in the Allen area. Here's a property over in West Fort Worth. Uh, that's only an hour drive, but it's like you might as well go to a different state or different country. The real estate market in Western um, Fort Worth is completely different than property sitting within 20 miles of my office here in Allen, Texas. And so from that standpoint, you know, you you think, well, an apartment is an apartment is an apartment or duplexes or residential, they're all the same. And that is so far from the truth. So after we take a short break right now, I'm going to come back and talk to you about how to not only narrow the focus, but I want to tell you the way I view real estate in the same way I view, mainly look at all kinds of investment opportunities. And I say that is something along the line. All I see, Troy W. Eckert sees, is dirt. Everything else is subject to change. Hey, listen, this is Troy Eckert talking with the Texan. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back.
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you ready to hear from investors and get insight on different asset classes? Join host Troy Eckert for the program, Talk with the Texan, Money and Life. Troy works with high net worth investors and is ready to bring you the secrets he's learned in his 35 years of alternative investment experience, along with his guest experts. If you want value, you'll need to listen in live every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Tune in each week for the Labenthal Report with hosts Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman. The Labenthal Report keeps you in tune with market conditions, investment opportunities, and outlooks based on the stories and headlines to keep you in touch with your financial success. Are you picking the right financial path? Find out by listening to The Labenthal Report live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. This is Talk with a Texan, Money and Life. To reach Troy Eckerd or his guest on the live program, we invite you to call in to 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to Troy at talkwiththetexan.com. Now back to the show. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to the back half of the hour. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Troy Eckerd talk with the Texan Money and Life. Today, we're talking about opportunity. We're talking about how to identify opportunities, how to make sure you in your own investment world and your own pursuit of opportunities, how you begin to start to understand what opportunities really should be looked at in more detail, what opportunities you might enjoy pursuing, which opportunities you might decide you want to avoid, and then what you do about narrowing that scope as far as trying to determine which opportunities are going to be the ones that you actually put some time and sweat equity and capital into. When we left the top half of the hour, we were talking about narrowing the focus. And the thing I want to stress to you as my listeners is that um, when you're ADD or you're a type A entrepreneur, a lot of times you'll find yourself really looking at um, idea after idea after idea because you're kind of that enamored individual who just hopes like heck you're going to overturn that rock and that rock turns out to be a golden nugget. And the truth is, is that we all have that excitement and anticipation that we're going to find the idea, the investment, the property, the, the stock that really does a phenomenal, uh, successful 
turn and that we happen to be the smart person that found that opportunity and we can feel good about the fact that it wasn't luck. We turned over a thousand rocks to find the one that was a golden nugget. And that is that is good, but I don't really want to make my life and I don't really want to focus on my uh, money, uh, either money or life based on luck. I want to do it based on a very strict attention to detail. I want to do it based upon a very realistic uh, set of uh recognize skills that I have, what I'm good at, what I'm not good at. And then what I want to do is I want to, to look at the opportunities, whether it be in a career or investments or assets or whatever. I want to look at that and say, which one, not only do I enjoy doing, but which one do I have the highest probability of success along with the enjoyment of doing it? Now, why do I keep talking about enjoying it? You know, some people say, I don't care if I enjoy the job or not. I mean, I'll, I'll bust rocks for 10 years if I get paid enough money and it's worth, it's worth what I'm paid. Well, that's one way to live life. The other way to live life is, is that maybe you don't bust rocks. Maybe you take a look at the broken rocks that somebody else is busting. Say, I'm going to start myself a rock store. Or maybe I'm going to find myself the old uh, pet rock where I paint it up, make it look pretty and sell that busted rock for $8 a piece. So it's all in how you look at things. It's all at how you decide to uh, evaluate the opportunity. And then from that standpoint, you have to decide very carefully uh, which one you choose. Because there's, there's more opportunities that you'll run across in a lifetime you could ever do if you had 100 lifetimes. So when you narrow down focus, I was talking about real estate. I was talking about real estate as it relates to maybe trying to find a professional fishing guide. And if I take a professional fishing guide out of one fishing hole and move him to another, he's going to catch fish, but he's not going to be the professional. He's not going to be the one who's an expert in that market. So one way you can narrow down focus is why don't you try reaching out to somebody who is an expert? There are lots of experts in virtually every single industry that are hired as consultants to help you get data you otherwise will have to learn through hard knocks. So let's just say, for example, um, I moved into a small town in North Dallas, and I want to find out what's going on in the city. Well, I've got one of a number of ways of doing it to narrow my focus. I first have to decide, what am I interested in? In my case, in particular, I'm not interested in buying rent houses. I'm not interested in doing a residential development right now. Meaning, I don't want to buy raw land and permit it and cut it up into lots. I'm not really interested in buying uh, what I would call commercial established vertical product. Right now, what I'm most interested in is buying what I believe to be future or existing undeveloped or underdeveloped land. So let's say I've already closed on a couple this last month. One has an existing building on it. Um, it had, it's ugly. It's been vacant. sits in a premium location. Had a little asbestos in it. Nobody was really touching with a 10-foot pole. I went in and made an offer and I bought it. First thing I did is I decided, this is going back to narrowing the focus because I want to tell you why. First thing I did when I looked at this property, I assumed that that vertical building was not there. I just looked at it as dirt. And that's pretty much how I look at real estate. That's the same way I look at oil and gas investment. I look at it and say, the geologist loves what may be down below the earth in in the surface uh, because he believes there's geologically some oil and gas there. As far as I know, it's just dirt. I don't know if he's right or wrong. When I looked at this building, I said, I don't really know what I'm going to put on that lot. I just know absent that vertical, ugly old building that might have some asbestos, if it were removed, that lot is worth a whole lot more clean than it is with that building on it. With that building on it, it looks like it has a big tumor. With that building on it, it looks like it has a lot of liability tied to it. 
Therefore, the price, the asking price for it was, I believe, far below what it was really worth. So I go in and I look at the lot and I buy it. And the first thing I do is I get an asbestos test. The second thing I do is I hire an asbestos removal. The third thing I do is I hire a demolition company. So I've already bought it. I've already removed the asbestos and demolition starts next week. This is all in about 60 days. In about 60 days from now, um, I could list that property for probably 50%, if not double what I paid for. Now, the average person looking at it, what they saw was an old building. In fact, the real estate agent was having me take a look at the integrity of the building. So, you know, can you fix the roof and you can do this? And I said, yeah, I don't really care. I'm not looking at any of it. He goes, why not? I have no intention on using this building. I'm not even buying this for the building. In fact, the building doesn't exist in my mind. All I see is dirt. So my focus in the real estate market I'm in right this second has nothing to do with uh, apartment complexes or commercial buildings or rental property or retail centers, not even self-storage. It is about buying underdeveloped or undeveloped lots or land inside the city limits that I believe will be much, much higher in value as a result of what? Well, this goes back to finding that professional fishing guide. When I got to town, I decided to work with one of the oldest uh, real estate professionals in the market. Family grew up here. He's been here a long time. Super nice guy. Spend time talking to him. And he's simply saying, here's where I'm seeing the opportunities in town. He was so nice enough to set me up to meet with the city manager. I went down and sat with the, met with the city manager and they brought in one of the city engineers and they were talking about what they're doing on city improvements and where they're going and what they'd like to see as far as development in town. And this just went on and on. And I took that information, which is public. And I went back and said, what we have is we have a town that is in super hyper growth, a town that's approved 10,000 new residential lots, which means probably 25 to 30,000 new people in the city. The city is only about 5,000 people right now. You do the math. And I said, what they're not going to have is services. What they're not going to have is commercial businesses. What they're not going to have is any more of these very, very nice in the city lots. So I'm going to buy as many as I can in key location, and I'm going to dress them up, give them a haircut, put makeup on them, make them look pretty. So the buyer, when they come buy it for me, looks at it and says, that is a beautiful, clean lot. So again, narrowing the focus is about where was the market I was interested in, what type of product within that market I wanted to pursue, how I found the highest expert fishing guide in that market to be able to help me pursue catching the fish that I wanted and maintaining the position in my own mindset that all I see is dirt. I mean, I literally can go up to an old grain elevator. I can go up to the apartment complex falling down. None of that phases me. I literally do not see it. I look right past it. And all I see is what is that piece of dirt worth if it had nothing on it? And then I began to evaluate that dirt relative to, let's say, a, oh, a one square mile radius, maybe a three or five square mile radius. I want to see in that fishing hole that I'm looking, what does it look like as far as the type of fish that have been caught before that may exist and what that looks like in terms of comparison. Now, I look at things such as this. Um, when you look at that, in that opportunity, you got to start thinking of things about like, um, is it versatile? Can I get into this piece of real estate? Can I buy that building? Can I take on this new business idea? And if I want to, is it versatile? Can I change it on the fly? Can I move it from 
Let's say I buy a lot and it's in the residential community. I'm stuck. There's only one thing that can go there, and that's residential. In most cases, in most zoning, you can't even change that to multi, like putting a duplex or quadplex. So what I don't like about residential is once I have a lot, it's always going to have a house on it. And based on fair market value and appraisal, it's going to be only equal to everything around me. I can't be the trendsetter and have the highest house in the cheapest market. doesn't work. But I could be maybe right next to a commercial um, area that's been zoned commercial. Maybe I buy the houses next to commercial. Now there's a very high probability under certain circumstances, I can get those residential homes converted or changed by, by going in and asking for a zoning change and getting a line of houses on a main strip converted from residential to commercial. Now the value is a lot more as a commercial property. You have to understand the sustainability. In other words, what, what is it about the property you're buying? What makes it make sense? Right now I have a contract on an older antique house. I'm really debating whether I close on it. Why? I'm trying to figure out what that sustainability looks like. Can I buy it? What will it look like in rent as an Airbnb or an office or a venue? And if I can't make a determination on the sustainability and get a rate of return that makes sense, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to let the contract expire. I'll walk away because why? That to me is like painting yourself in a corner. There's nowhere to go. You're trapped. Your money's trapped in that property. And the fact is you probably don't have a whole lot of potential buyers that'll buy it at a price much more than what you paid for, even if they give you a slight lift. When you figure out your rate of return that you should earn each year, you're probably going to be in the hole. Um, I need to look at the things like, um, what are my holding costs? Now, again, I'm not digressing off the point of the show. The point of the show is finding opportunities, but I'm kind of showing you how to narrow the focus. So in my view, I'm saying, is it versatile? Is it sustainable? Um, what's my holding cost? What's my cost of capital? What's my time horizon? Can I get that capital back out? So I got to narrow my focus down relative to my own personal situation, which is exactly why I said from the beginning, I got to know my own limits. I got to know my own capabilities. If I have $100,000 and I don't need that money at all, I, I have five to 10 years I can park it. That's a whole lot different than having only $100,000 and I've got to rotate that dollar as often as I can to buy as many assets as I can, because that's all the cash I have to invest. And I don't want to go seek third party uh, participation. All right. I also think you need to figure out um, the exit. Um, this is one thing I think most people uh, fail at time and time again. They'll take on careers, jobs, skills, opportunities, and they never think about the exit. And the key to an exit is everything all seasons come to pass, right? So there's going to be the coldest day in winter. There's going to be the hottest day this summer in 2022. There is going to be the uh, highest opportunity for any piece of property or any type of asset where you say it can't realistically do any better than this. Well, that's no different than us as human beings. When I get to a certain age, I have reached my peak, my peak in physical performance, my peak in mental performance, my peak in, in many attributes of my life. And after that point in time, it's going to be a degradation. It's going to be a backward or, or, or degrading moment. My, my mental skills, my eyesight, my strength, my body, it's not going to be the same. Well, that's the same thing when it comes to uh, your ideas as far as skills and looking at opportunities. Every opportunity you find should be an opportunity you make your money and your profit when you buy it. When you enter an investment, that is the time to negotiate the contract you can live with. When you enter an investment opportunity, it doesn't get any better than the day you bought it. Whenever you decide to buy a piece of real estate, 
know for a fact, if nothing happens under your plans, if you don't get the zoning approved, if you don't get to take the building down because they find out there's too much asbestos, maybe you find there's a, 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 a sacred burial ground underneath your property. If you don't make that investment decision knowing that the money you put in could be there forever, you made the wrong decision because things do happen. So you're going to have to decide when you narrow your focus, you know, what is your capacity for buying it, staying in it? And remember, you're going to make all your value at the time you make the decision to actually execute and go forward. So it does the same thing in my business with mineral rights. Once we buy mineral rights, the rights of natural resources below the surface, you're not moving any dead plants and animals and dinosaurs. There's only what exists under that mineral right at the time you purchase it. There is probably going to be a perception of value at the time that you acquire it. Have no idea if it's going to improve or, or, or not improve. But the, the truth is, it is geographically and geologically constrained. It is, it is what it is. It is located by an XY coordinate. It is located by geological events below the ground, whether it's gold, silver, oil, and gas. And you're not going to change that. So the same thing applies to real estate. Um, I'm looking at, I've got a contract on a piece of property now. I know that uh, from talking to the, the, the locals that there's going to be highway improvements and extensions, and most likely that piece of property is going to be subject to three to four years of negative development as a result of what's going to take place on the highway and, and the access roads. So the question for me is, should I buy that today, knowing or hoping that in four years it's worth a lot more than I pay for it? But I've automatically given myself mentally, I got a four-year hold because I don't think I'd want to start developing that until I knew the highway was in, the construction's done, because I'm going to get I'm going to get discounted by a potential buyer. I'm going to get discounted by a potential uh, tenant because they're going to say, "Man, you got highway construction for the next three or four years." So the debate is: Do I buy it today at today's price, knowing I've got a four-year hold of stagnation, or do I go take the money I would buy that property with and go do something else? And just say, I'm probably making a mistake. It's probably going to be worth a lot more, but I can probably take the money that I would buy that property, invest in two or three, four other projects over the next four years, and make far greater returns by making the right buy decision today. I don't know. I'm, I'm debating it. I'm 50 50 at this point in time. Most likely, I'm not going to uh, walk away. I'm going to figure on a five year hold and look at the opportunity as a long-term, but patient with a very potentially very aggressive upside based on the limited uh, comparable acres that's available. So again, it's a raw land purchase and it's just all about holding assets. So these are decisions you're going to have to make. So when we talk about um, your time, this is another thing I think many of us just simply don't think about. For me, it's pretty simple. You take however much money you've made last year and you divide it by 2000 and 80 hours. That's if you had a normal job and you went eight to five, I don't care if you're an executive, a lawyer, this, you figure out what you made last year and you figure the average count is 2,080 hours. So if you want to make a quarter of a million dollars, your time's worth about $120 an hour. If you want to make a million dollars, well, it's four times that. You're looking to making $480 an hour. So if you go buy a rent house and you know you've got to put in carpet and you want to be a handyman and you want to do all this stuff yourself, you think you're saving money because you say, well, I'll put the carpet in myself. I'll paint it myself. I don't know about you, but I think there's a whole lot of painters and carpet layers that don't have $480 an hour in their charges. So it is very difficult 
when you as an individual try to be frugal, frugal with your time and frugal with your money, it's very difficult to get your head around your time is worth a whole lot more than the, than the few dollars you're going to save by doing it yourself. And I'm not talking about being lazy. I'm not talking about not learning the process. I'm not talking about not becoming engrossed in what you do. But I'm saying there is a realization that your time, your time could be one of the biggest wastes that you have in your lifetime because as I say all the time for myself, um, time is something I can't reproduce, replicate, or extend. I have a finite amount of time on this planet, and I have a finite amount of time to get done the things I want to do. So when you say, how do I find opportunities? The first thing is I have to do what I like. I have to do what I enjoy, all the things we just talked about. But I also got to find out, what do I have the time to do? Do I have time to go buy a Class B apartment complex and hire the subcontractors and get it done and get the work and get the sheetrock and the carpet and the paint and the retrofit? Do I have the time? Answer is no. Do I have in my, my budget, in my expectations of the opportunity, do I have the money to pay a subcontractor or a general contractor to come in and do all the work? Well, that's just a function of money and, and risk. Do I trust the general contractor to do the work right and not stick it to me? You know, that kind of stuff. And then I have to add that back into the asset. You know, does the asset warrant a general contractor's level of cost to do the work that's required to give me the change in use, the change in quality of that apartment complex to give me the kind of return I want. Those are all things that I got to factor in and consider. But time is really important. So the way I am now, you know, again, I'm going to be 58 this summer. The way I am now is pretty simple. Somebody say, Troy, I want you to drive four hours to Houston to meet this one guy who might be interested in becoming an investment partner. I'm saying, let's put him on a Zoom call. Let's talk to him. Well, he really wants to meet you in person. Great. Well, I'm right here in Dallas. He can drive with this way and, and meet me. Now, this is not arrogance. This is not narcissism. This is a realization that for me to go to Houston and back, probably worth fifteen dollars or $20,000 of my time. It's not arrogance. It's reality. So what I would rather do is I would rather say to myself, when I'm making a choice in business or investments, what does the time look like? Which is why I don't like residential. For me to go get enough residential properties acquired and go get them put into some kind of rental program, Airbnb, whatever, buy, you know, fix and flip. I've got a whole lot of moving parts. I got multiple different assets. I've got record keeping. I've got gains. I've got accounting. I've got refurbishments. I've got tenants. And I start looking at all those moving parts and I think, wow, I would much rather not do that for all the things I just described. So I know there's a lot of people who've made tremendous returns on owning residential property for the last 10, 20 years. I know there's a whole lot of people that have plowed a lot of money into residential real estate over the last um, 10 years since the 2008 crash. They've made good money. And I'm telling you, many of them are going to lose their tails when this market settles. But that aside, it's more about they have chosen to be in the residential market. They probably have hired a manager. They probably have uh, acquired the assets at a price that allows them to see growth in asset value and pay off the mortgages with the result of the rental income. I get it, get it, get it. But it goes back to the very beginning. I have to decide my own opportunities based on what I like to do, my own capabilities, et cetera. Um, now, when I want to think about uh, this show, I want to give you some examples because I think it's real important. So in town, where I'm at now, I'm looking at a limited amount of services, meaning water, utilities, sewage. I'm looking at a 
city government that is uh, being inundated with enormous amounts of growth, very, very constrained on their ability to keep up. And um, it's going very well, but I can, I can tell they're way behind. So what I see is the opportunity to come in and understand what they would like to see in the city, what they don't want to see in the city. So remember, the greatest success you're going to have in your life in choosing opportunities is being able to say no, being able to identify what doesn't work. Because let me tell you something, the faster you get to know, the faster you clean your garage out, the faster you clean your brain out. I have ideas top to bottom on buying this, doing this, and I, I vacillate, I think about, I write it down, I sit on it for a long time, I come back and revisit it, and when I'm done, I can take specific ideas and go through the entire process of deciding if it's an opportunity I want to do, and when I say, nope, it's not for me, I don't revisit it, I'm done, because I've given it enough of my analysis and enough of all the things I've just talked about combined with many, many more uh, ways of narrowing down that focus. And I've come to the conclusion, this idea is probably going to work. I can make it work. I think it's going to be successful. It's not the best choice or use of my time. So when I look at the stuff I'm buying today, let's talk in minerals and let's talk in, in real estate. The only mineral rights that I'm buying have to be under existing, producing, income generating, oil and gas wells, with the best, very best oil and gas companies operating. Why? I don't want to lose any money. I love monthly cash flow, but more importantly is I want to know that what I'm investing in is going to generate a rate of return higher than I can get anywhere else. And I've got billion dollar oil companies doing all the heavy lifting, taking all the risk. That asset class does not exist anywhere else. So I've narrowed the focus down to, I want to be in minerals. I've narrowed it down to wanting to be in a specific state, in this case, Oklahoma. I've narrowed it down to the certain oil companies I believe are the very best. I've narrowed it down to specific areas within this Oklahoma basin that tells me it's going to have the highest cash flow and the highest reserves. And I've narrowed it down so this thing looks like a funnel. It just keeps going down and down and down and down. And with all the variables and all the assumptions, we now have in place a very specific program on what we want to do in buying minerals. Real estate's the same way. In this town, there's raw land everywhere. And you've got insane prices being asked, and you've got undervalued. They don't even know it's undervalued. In my own strategy, about seven years ago, I started in my own process for what Troy does for myself, I started what's called AML, aggregation, maturation, and liquidation. Now, it sounds all cutesy because it rhymes, but really it does, it does make sense if you think about it. Let's talk about aggregation. If I can see a dysfunctional fragmented market but it has a high demand for the product, that's an opportunity for me. Because fragmentation means um, inconsistencies, operational deficiencies. It means that there is uh, all kinds of holes in that market where you have inefficient or poorly operated businesses or poorly operated assets as a result of human influence. So let's take one that we all can be familiar with. Let's take dry cleaners. You go into Dallas, and every time they build a new strip center, it's going to have a nail place, it's going to have a donut shop, it's going to have a dentist shop, and a dry cleaner. I mean, it's almost guaranteed, right? In the case of dry cleaners, the problem you have is, is that it is a very low barrier to entry. Anybody can actually start a dry cleaner. In fact, you can open up a dry cleaner store and not even have any equipment. You outsource it to a centralized dry cleaning facility. They pick them up and deliver them every day. 
and you're charging a fee above that. So it's just volume. At that point, it's a volume business. Do I move enough clothes through my uh, facility in order for me to make enough money to pay my rent and take home some money? When you think about fragmentation, you think about how many industries are fragmented. Okay, that's one. Number two, how many can be aggregate? How many dry cleaning businesses would you have to buy to control the market? Too many. You could never control the market. That idea doesn't make it past the very second test, which is aggregation equals maturation. You couldn't mature it. The maturation part is time horizon, having the right time horizon, understanding what you're doing and being sure that you're realistic because you can aggregate, in my case, these lots inside the city I'm in. I can mature them or maturate them because I can clean them, develop them, retrofit them, take down buildings, get them rezoned because the market is coming to me with 10,000 brand new lots. I know it's going to go up in in demand because there's very limited raw land opportunities for any kind of commercial development going forward. Okay. And then the liquidation part is the hardest part. The liquidation part is, do you sell at the height of the market when things are going really, really well? Or do you sell within a certain time frame after you've made that decision? And that's the hardest part. The liquidation has to do with your own discipline about what you think the maturation process is. If I buy, like the, the, the two lots I just bought, I could probably put them back on the market in 30 days and make a 50% profit. And I've held them for less than 180 days. I'd probably hold it for 12 months just to get long-term capital gains. But the point is I could probably flip it for half money. Why? Because the two pieces standing alone didn't have much value. The two pieces now I own them side by side, give me a big block of a commercial block inside the city. And somebody's going to want that bigger block as one price. And they're going to pay a premium for it because as a collective uh, two lots, it's worth a whole lot more than the two single lots were together. So the question is, do I sell it or do I hold it? Well, it's going to go up in value, but there's a very, very fast high rate of return by flipping those two lots today. This happens in virtually every sector and every decision you have. You know, I want to remind the audience, first off, thank you for joining me every week. Thank you for listening to uh, Talk with the Texan Money and Life. I started my career in 1985. I focus on oil and gas. I focus on energy. I focus on real estate. I know about stocks and bonds. There's a lot of areas I know. I've been very blessed to have that kind of aggregated information available to me. But let me just remind each one of you. Um, you cannot be a jack of all trades and master of nothing. I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not good at. Call me, email me, write me, see if you have some questions or maybe some future topics for shows. But I am Troy Eckert. I am Talk with the Texan. This is Money and Life. And I want to thank you very much for joining me today. Hopefully what I've talked about we will be of some value to you. Thanks again. Thanks to all our incredible friends for joining Troy for today's show, Talk with the Texan, Money and Life. Please join your host, Troy Eckert, for another edition of the program every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Troy, engage him, challenge him, but most importantly, listen to him. Three decades of expertise at your disposal. We'll see you here next week.